Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. If we haven't met, my name is Ryan Moore. I'm the pastor of CARE here at the Life Christian Church. Uh, Today we continue our series, Parabolic, as a church, if you're, you're joining us um, for the first time as a church, we've been going through certain parables in Scripture. And Jesus' parables are simple, memorable stories, often with uh, imagery, that teach a lesson in our daily lives. So we're going to be diving into um, two parables today, uh, right in our time this morning. Um, most jobs have requirements you need to meet in order to be considered for a job. There are often things which will immediately disqualify you from the job. For example, if you desire to be the president of the United States, there's only three qualifications for the presidency. The president must be at least 35 years of age, be a natural born citizen, and must have lived in the United States for at least 14 years. So if you meet all of those requirements, you're eligible to be the president of the United States. If you have a number of moving violations on your car, no need to bother to apply to be a bus driver. But in our text this morning, Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33, Jesus repeats a phrase three times in this passage, and it's the phrase, cannot be my disciple. Jesus is warning us of the requirements and the cost of discipleship. Note the context of this passage. There are large crowds following Jesus. Most leaders today are concerned with how to keep the crowd. Jesus seemed intentionally to try to thin the crowd out. Jesus understood that people are naturally attracted to crowds. Jesus understood that it's easy to talk like a Christian and to even believe you are a Christ follower simply because you hang out with followers of Christ. Jesus wanted us to understand that discipleship is not about membership. It's about a way of life. It's not about following the crowd. It's about following him. So when we put our trust in Christ, we enter into a relationship. And faith does not end at the point of decision. Actually, it begins. And Jesus wants to help us in that relationship. As we dive into Luke chapter 14 today, verses 25 through 33, I want to read those verses of scripture. It says this, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Saying this, person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. 
And so who are those that can actually be his disciple is the question we must ask today. Well, let's define disciple. And for our context, a follower, a disciple is a personal follower of Jesus. But let's look at the definition of a follower. A follower is someone who is committed to the one they are following. They don't just watch, they are involved. That means they're doing what the one they're following wants, or they're doing what the one they're following is doing. So with this in mind, let's remember the setting of the life of Jesus. Jesus was popular. He was healing people. He was doing miracles. He was teaching with authority. He was showing himself to be wiser than the Pharisees. He was showing himself also to be compassionate. So when Jesus and his disciples went through these cities, the people followed. So in this section of scripture, Jesus' parables of the man building a tower and the king planning to go to war in Luke highlight the cost of discipleship and advise careful planning before deciding to follow Jesus. So the question for us is, what does it cost to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it cost to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? That might sound a bit strange. You probably think the invitation to follow Jesus is open and free for anyone who will accept it. And that's true to an extent. Whosoever will come to me and call on me, and confess me as Lord will be saved, the scripture says. But a lot of people will follow Jesus for a while. A lot of people will be part of the church for a while until something happens or it becomes inconvenient or it becomes too costly. It's not about the large number of people who will follow after Christ for a while, but the smaller group who is committed to Christ long term. Which group are we? So in this passage, Luke wrote that Jesus saw a large crowd. You can just visualize this. There's a large crowd following, walking behind Jesus. They're hearing him have conversations, talk. And he took this opportunity to explain what a true disciple was. So at that point, Scripture says in what? Verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turns to them. And he says, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus really saying we should hate those who are nearest and dearest to us? Is Jesus saying I need to hate my mama? Is he really saying that Christians should despise and detest our spouses, our siblings, even ourselves? And doesn't the Bible say that elsewhere we should love other people and honor our parents? Well, properly understood, Jesus' words are radical, but not cruel. If we understand them rightly, his words are incredibly challenging, but not immoral. Jesus is using hyperbole here. What is hyperbole? Hyperbole is exaggerated statements or claims, not meant to be taken literally, but it gets the point across. We use hyperbole every day in our English language. We say such things as, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Or, I've seen that movie a thousand times. We probably saw it five times. But a thousand, eh. 
It's reaching. Or we say, how much did that cost you? It cost me an arm and a leg. And we still have our arm and the leg on us, right? So you get the point. Because when Jesus uses this word hate here, he doesn't mean hate in the sense we do today. Hate here doesn't mean to actively dislike someone or something. Like other Jews of the day, Jesus is using the word hate to mean love less than something else. To hate something in this sense is merely to love it less than something else. So, for example, I could say I hate lentil soup compared to cake. I would mean that even though I enjoy a bowl of lentil soup, I would prefer a slice of carrot cake. Get the point. Jesus is using the word hate to express priority and preference, not detesting and despising. So what Jesus is saying in verse 26 is that disciples of Christ should love him ahead of anyone and anything else, even more than we love our family, friends, or our very selves. Jesus is saying that Christians should give him their ultimate loyalty and love. He is saying that we should put him before our family, our career, our social life, ahead of anything that tries to claim the number one top spot in our lives. So this statement by Jesus begs the question for us, who is going to control our life? When we call Jesus Lord, it means that he is our absolute ruler. Many times, the strongest opposition that we will receive when it comes to our devotion and dedication to Christ will be from our family members, those who don't have that same devotion or dedication or follow after him. You know how it is. You start serving in the church. You give your life to Christ. You get involved with ministry, a life group, a life team. You want to go on missions. You want to volunteer. And members of our family will say stuff like, why do you spend so much time at the church? Or you'll hear something like, why you don't hang out with us and go places that we used to go? Why do you give so much money to that church? Or you think you better than us because you have a relationship with God now? Probably heard it all. And so being Jesus' disciple means that our primary allegiance is to him. Last week, we had 20 people get baptized right here at TLCC. Yeah. And before they, they get baptized and get in the pool, we have a, a time where we ask, you know, why are we getting baptized? What's the reason for being baptized? And, and I'll share with them. One of the reasons why we get baptized is that we are publicly sharing with the world and those in the room at that time our allegiance to Christ. We're pledging our allegiance to Christ. And, and what we're saying there is no one and nothing can replace Jesus' supreme position in our lives. So the supreme love and loyalty to Christ can cause division, though, within a family. It may seem as rejection or hate if the family does not share the same commitment that you do to Christ. Father and mother, wife and husband, brother and sister, these are the strongest bonds we have. So our dedication and love for them many times can eclipse our love for the Lord. 
The result is we don't truly walk out in our lives the expression of what it means to make him Lord of all because we're trying to please them. And Jesus is basically saying, I'm not telling you not to love your family, but if you aim to please them more than me, you're going to run into conflict. The Lord is not telling us to abandon or mistreat our family. He's not telling us that we should get so involved with church work that we never home. He's calling us, though, to order our priorities in a godly way. When we do this, we are actually being able to love our family more appropriately, more effectively, and more fully. And these are admittedly hard words, but understand how important this is. Our actions demonstrate what's truly important in life. It doesn't matter what box we check on a religious survey. It doesn't matter if we tell our children, you need to believe this. Most of the time, they're going to look at what we do more than what we say. And so our families are watching our actions, and we either lead our families to God or we're leading them away from him by the choices that we make. And this is the wise way to live. Jesus knows the answers to life questions. He understands human nature. He's the fountain of all wisdom. And so when we point our families to Christ, we are providing for them the greatest blessing possible. Amen? I know these are hard words. Are you still tracking with me? Are we still following a Jesus? Okay. All right. <laughs> Here's part, part two. Point two here is this. A disciple counts the cost of following Jesus. A disciple counts the cost of following Jesus. We see this in Luke chapter 14, verse 28 through 30, where he says this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation or are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. In the near ancient East, there was watchtowers that were, were built, and watchtowers were, were built for several reasons. In the ancient days, enemies attacked by burning fields, so towers were built on these big estates from which people could protect their land. Most of the time, also, they had uh, a tower, and they built out you know, walls around it because they also had farmland that was sometimes around there too, and so it kept animals from eating your crops. And so this man is going out to build this big tower. This is the parable of the tower builder here. And everybody in the community will get to know this man is building a tower. So this parable of the tower here is that Jesus, this is what Jesus teaches us, that nobody would do this if they wind up what? Just having a foundation with nothing being built on it. In the Near East, ancient East, what was happening here was if you started building that tower and you didn't complete it, it was a place of dishonor. People would ridicule you and you didn't want that. And so when you're going to build a tower, he says in verse 28, you're going to sit down and you're going to calculate the cost to see if you have enough to complete the project. You want to make sure that you can finish building this tower. And so he says here that the person building this tower would sit down and start to calculate. How much is this going to cost? How much I'm going to pay workers to come in and start building? How much do I get off for these supplies? How much will it take away from my family because I'm building this tower? It may be a year, five years of this 
project building. What is the cost? And so Jesus gives us this principle of cost-benefit analysis and how this is tied to being a disciple. So what is cost-benefit analysis? Some of us do this every day for a living. Cost-benefit analysis is the process of comparing the projected or estimated cost and benefits or opportunities associated with a project decision to determine whether it makes sense from a business perspective. Got that straight off a Harvard Business School online. But how does this connect to discipleship? Jesus has already taught the parable of the sower, and Pastor Terry spoke several weeks on the soil and spoke a few weeks back on this, did an excellent job in Matthew 13. But one of those verses of Scripture in Matthew 13 is this, verse 4, 5, and 6. The sower, as the, the farmer, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where they didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. So what is he saying? How does this tie in? Some began with great intentions following Jesus. But what happened? Other things came up. They lost interest. They stopped following. People started to follow Jesus, but they said, I can't live this Christian lifestyle. I can't follow after Jesus. So what did they do? They were attracted at first, but then the going gets tough. They depart. Some people are too concerned about what others think and not what Jesus thinks. So they depart. And Jesus says, this isn't good enough for discipleship. Jesus gives an example from this construction project, a tower builder. He says, before beginning something of this magnitude, you must first carefully calculate the cost from start to finish. And he's tying this into our discipleship. And we see this in verse 29 and 30, the word finish. He says in verse 29, for if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So what are you saying, Jesus? Jesus is saying, if you don't have the willingness to see it through, don't even attempt the journey Discipleship is a decision that demands the utmost seriousness and commitment. So he's saying, be very, very sure you want to follow me as a disciple. Jesus is saying, come to me if you have the commitment to finish your life with me. Come to me only if you want to stay with me during the good times and the bad times. And there will be both. And so public mocking underlines the failure to count the cost. We all know Christians who started out well, but they didn't finish well. And Jesus is saying, calculate the cost. So the Lord says, you want to be my disciple? Count the cost. You may have to give up everything if need be to be my disciple. What may it cost us? It will cost us our time. Once we, Bible says that we should use time wisely. Why? Because once it's gone, it's gone. You can spend time, but you can't save time. As, as we count the cost, what's the cost? We have to sacrifice sometimes our social life, our leisure to spend more time serving others, our neighbors, those around us ministering to the people at the church, or even sharing the gospel itself with others. 
It will certainly cost us money. As we give sacrificially to the church, to missions agencies, and to other Christian charitable organizations, it's going to cost us. Being a faithful disciple may also affect our career path, our standard of living, our reputation amongst non-Christian friends and colleagues. And it will be costly and painful to give up bad habits and fight personal temptations that we know God doesn't approve of. Amen? Now, I know this is some harsh sayings, and we're probably like, woof. I studied this this week in private, and I was like, woof. So let me encourage you with a story that we're all familiar with, probably. It's called The Three Little Pigs and The Big Bad Wolf. Ryan's parables of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf to get a spiritual concept across. But in The Three Little Pigs and The Big Bad Wolf, we understand cost-benefit analysis, and we tie it into discipleship and following Jesus. We all probably know the story. Let me tell the story. What happened? The first little pig builds his house on what? Straw. The, the, the house of straw was quick to build. The benefit was getting it built quickly so he could do other things. But there's a problem. The big bad wolf came. And we all know what happened. The big bad wolf huffed and he puffed and he what? He blew the house down, right? The second little pig made a decision too. She decided to build her house out of sticks. What was the benefit of that decision? She gained a place to live and extra time to do what she wanted, like play with other pigs. But there was a problem. The big bad wolf came. And we all know the story. The big bad wolf huffed and he puffed and he what? He blew the house down. But then there was the third little pig. And the third little pig built his house out of bricks. But the big bad wolf came, and he huffed, and he puffed, but he couldn't blow the house down. What was his benefits? He built a strong house that was safe and secure when the wolf came, and he huffed, and he puffed, and he couldn't blow his house down, but also the benefit was that this pig saved the other two pigs because his house was built on a foundation, and it was strong. What was the cost? He probably had to pay more for the bricks than his friends had to pay for the straws and the sticks. What was the opportunity cost of building his house? He gave up the opportunity to go play with other pigs while he was building his house. I want you to know this, Christian. If you're following after Jesus, build your life on his foundation. It may cost us. And we have an enemy of our soul. He's our big bad wolf. And he will huff and puff. But you know what? When we're standing on the foundation, he can huff and puff all he wants. He's just coming out of breath. Because we're on the foundation of Jesus Christ, which is strong. Amen. What's my point? My point is counting the cost of discipleship means we realize the prize is worth the price. Once we see the treasure, the treasure is Jesus himself and know him, 
The cost has enormous benefits, but I want you to know the benefits long-term always will supersede the cost. But if we don't know the treasure, this will seem like a foolish investment. And Jesus is saying, count the cost. Where are you going to invest? But what are some of the benefits then of discipleship? What are some of the benefits of following Jesus? Here we are. We have some. Disciples get to follow Jesus where he goes. The uncommitted can't go. When we're following after Jesus, we go places where he's going, but the uncommitted can't go there because they're not following him anymore. Jesus' disciples get to watch crazy situations that Jesus gets invited to and see what he does. You know what? He puts us in those crazy situations. And then what does he do? He shows up and shows himself strong in a way that we could not comprehend what God was about to do, the benefit of following him. Disciples get Jesus' perspective in confusing situations. We've all been faced with situations where we're confused. We don't know what is the next step. But when we follow after Jesus, we can always ask for his wisdom in the situation and he will give it to us because we're following after him. Disciples get insight into Jesus's plans, nature, and mission that no one else gets. You know, I love the fact that scripture says we are friends of God when we follow after Jesus. And the great thing about friendship is this. Our close friends know what we're doing and you know what they're doing. If you're not a close friend, you don't know what what Jesus is doing. But if we are following after him, we know what he's doing because we're following him and we're listening to his voice. And disciples can be continually filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit and the power and the presence of the Spirit of God every day. As we discover this, Dallas Willard said this, we discover the obedient life is the abundant life. The obedient life is the abundant life. Amen. Let me give you my life illustration of counting the cost. So it's 2008, and I was living in New York City at the time. I was living in the Bronx, New York. And I was working for a credit union in Manhattan. And this credit union started to grow and they were going to open up a new branch. And I was a supervisor in retail banking. And they came to me and said, this is the month of October, 2008. They said, we want to consider you for the branch manager position. That will be a huge bump in your raise, in your pay salary, and There's an end-of-year bonus. At the same time, the church that I was serving in in New York City said, we want you to be our youth pastor. There's a salary. It's not a branch manager's salary, but it's a salary. So I was in between. What should I do? Should I I go and, and say, yeah, I accept that branch manager position and all the benefits that come with it and the big salary and... The big bonus at the end of the year. I'm only two months away from it. Or do I go and serve God? And there was a situation there. I had to wrestle with it. But I understood this. Where was God calling me? 
What was his call on my life? What was I feeling passionate about? I was feeling passionate about serving God and serving young kids in New York City. And so I left a banking career that was about to start, and I followed after God's call for my life of serving him and serving youth. And I'll tell you this. The price was costly. It cost me money. But there's certain things you can't put a price on. You can't put dollars and cents on the lives of children and young people who came to Christ over the many years that I served there. And I love pastoring. It's my heart. And so when you're in a position like that, you have to what? You got to count the costs. And I'll say this. I believe I've never calculated, but I believe God has paid me more in this position than in that position. Amen. Last point. A disciple surrenders all to Jesus. A disciple surrenders all to Jesus. We see this in Luke chapter 14, verse 31 through 33. It says this. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Only first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. I think this illustration is probably easier to understand. A king must seriously consider the odds before deciding to go to war with another nation. How many stories have we heard of a foolish leader who went to war with another nation and did not properly plan for it? Imagine going to war with another nation and the opposing side had twice as many fighting men as you had. Would you go to war with them or would you pursue peaceful relations with them? I believe Jesus represents the king in this passage. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. King Jesus is willing to offer us complete peace, eternal life, but he expects our unconditional and complete surrender. We must consider the cost of being a disciple of Christ as well as not being a disciple of Christ. Just like this king who's going to war, should I fight him or should I say no? Let's have peace. Scripture tells us that we are all under God's wrath. We all sin and fall short, which is rebellion against God. It's going to war against him. The result of warring against God, we will never win. We're outnumbered. Therefore, we must pursue peace with God. In order to be at peace with God, we must what? Agree to his terms. Jesus is our peace. The Father has sent the Prince of Peace to make peace on our behalf. And the only terms of peace for us is to completely surrender to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. We must count the cost of being Jesus' disciple. We must surrender all to him. We follow the one who loved this world so much, he went to the cross. Following Jesus is not easy, but 
His word is still the best news for this world through the hard times and the good times. And this is what you and me are to what? Remember together. Discipleship is demanding, but discipleship is a delightful thing. And discipleship is intentional. Discipleship is a determined thing if you're going to follow him. So if you're going to follow him, follow him with all that you have and all that you are. The promise of life, abundant life, life that truly matters is always in front of us. And the promise of God's unconditional love, forgiveness and grace far outweigh whatever the cost discipleship might bring. And so this week, let's take some self-examination, spiritual practice, that we look inside ourselves, we take an objective look at our spiritual condition at any time, set aside some time this week to reflect on these questions. What do I value the most? What do I see as the demanding my ultimate loyalty? What's demanding my ultimate loyalty? Is it family? Is it material possessions? Is it my job? Is it self-importance? What, what entangles me in my walk with God? And ultimately, we have to count the costs and say, Jesus, are you enough? Are you enough? Let me offer a prayer for us today. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you because you offer your grace, your mercy, and your love to us, and you're so kind and good. And God, we, we, we need your power, we need your spirit to follow after you, to be consistent with you, to overcome the things that would try to draw us away from walking with you. We pray that you would hold us tight, Lord, that we would hear your voice, we would dedicate our time, we would, we would look at the cost, but we would know you and know that there's so many more benefits on the other side. Help us, Lord. To this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.